Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Hey, Light Church. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I am so grateful to be here sharing a word with you guys. Um, being here virtually and then being with you guys on Sunday. And I know it's kind of the obligatory thing for guest teachers to kind of say, hey, I'm so grateful to be here with you. And I know they all mean it, but I really do mean it. Um, I've been able to teach a couple times in the past. And every time I just kind of this goofy grin on my face as I'm driving home. And uh, I'm just thinking about how you guys have just shared such this like beautiful picture of the kingdom to me. Um, how when I'm driving home, I just see this culture that you guys have. And as we're going to look in this parable, a culture of the kingdom that's planted in good soil. And I want to say you guys are good soil, so thank you. And it'd be easy also to say, man, well, Benji and Jen are awesome, which they are. Your staff, your volunteers, they're top-notch, again, which they are. But if we actually take what Scripture says seriously and we believe it, what it says is that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the church. Which means that light is not light without you. And the, the culture that's created, the ways that San Diego and North County is better is because of you. And so I wanted to just say, well done. You guys are killing it. And you guys really encourage me. And so I'm grateful to be here. I remember when I was in high school and I had uh, just okay youth pastors. Um, it was Benji and Jen. Um, they were actually pretty great. And our youth ministry was going off. It was this incredible place where um, there was this ecstatic vibrant worship. I mean, we loved the Lord. We were going after it. Um, we, you would say we were on fire for God. And I remember just inviting my friends from school and just saying, you guys have to come. You have to check this out. They didn't know the Lord, but they came to know the Lord at this youth group. And what was crazy is that we had these moments of just like this ecstatic, vibrant worship. And yet there are some of those people today that I was worshiping alongside of tears together, um, praying over each other, and they're not walking with the Lord today. Or I think of people who I went to college with, and we studied theology at a Christian university. We talked about the Bible together, but somehow the information didn't move the 18 inches from their thick skulls down into their beating chest. And it gets you wondering, man, what is it? Why, when we have the same environment, right, the same leadership, why do we have different results? And I think it's when you leave the safe confines of youth ministry or the safety of the bubble of a Christian university and you experience life, right? Real life, the scorching heat in the long days or, or just the choking restrictions of everything that's coming up with, with media and the news and COVID and all of these things. When life hits, it chokes you out. It burns you. You aren't able to dig deep roots and you see that then people fall away the Lord. Maybe they don't outright reject him, but they definitely don't follow him. And we see that in this parable. So Matthew 13, 1 through 9, this is Jesus, and he's talking to, his, uh, to the disciples. There's this large crowd that comes, and he creates this kind of makeshift amphitheater um, in the water, and they're all up on the shore, and he's got his disciples in his boat with him, and he's talking to them, and he says this, verse 1, the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and they ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. 
But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they were withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now I love that you guys are in this parable series. I love the parables personally. And I know Benji's done a lot of kind of groundwork and explaining what the parables are. And I kind of want to go back just to the original meaning of parables. Just the original Greek word is, is parabolon. And that literally means just to cast alongside, right? It just, it's a way that you kind of measure up against comparing and contrasting our views of the kingdom versus the realities of the kingdom. Our views of God and how he should react versus who he truly is. And in this parable, it's talking about the soils. So it's, it's to measure up, to compare our soil, our lives, not someone else's soil. Now, if we have to look at Jesus' words where he said, um, don't point out the speck in, in someone else's eyes. Take the log out of your own eye. This is a moment for us not to look at someone else and say like, that's some thorny soil over there. Um, or man, that guy, that's rocky, it's rocky soil, right? We're not meant to do that, to evaluate and compare other people. We're comparing ourselves against God's word in the kingdom. And so this is meant to pull out of us our presuppositions, our prejudices of what God in the kingdom is. It's the filter through which we need to see our life through. Like a Brita filter where, where you kind of put the cruddy stuff in and, and then pure, more cleaner water comes out at the end. And I think oftentimes we take culture, we take our ideologies, we take our thoughts of who God is and how he needs to act and we filter scripture and everything else through that rather than saying, God, this is who you are. This is the kingdom that you've given us. I'm going to filter my life through that. Voltaire, he's the French Enlightenment philosopher. He um, said this and it's profound that he's critical of Christianity, but I think this is a really profound statement. He talks about how in the very beginning, God made mankind in his image and we've been returning the favor ever since. And so the parables and Jesus' teaching takes our prejudices and presuppositions and it says, no, no, you don't make me in your image, you're made in my image. And here's what the kingdom of God is like, right? They would have expected a kingdom to be locked and loaded, right? Ready to explode onto the world stage in a blaze of glory. They would have expected the kingdom to be powerful, right? Overthrowing, victorious war cry where Herod is taken out, Rome is gone, and a new perfect priest is there. And, and so they would have thought the kingdom was more like a bulldozer. And Jesus is like, no, 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 my kingdom is less like a bulldozer and more like plowing. You think my kingdom's like this and it's actually like farming. So context to this, Jesus has just kind of had some, some time being rejected by the Pharisees and uh, he's gathering large crowds. People are following him. They just want a taste of what he's offering, right? His teaching, his life, his miracles. They want to see him heal people. So he has this incredible following. People are coming after him because he teaches with authority and he creates this mini amphitheater and he begins to teach and he teaches drawing from the culture around. Probably on the way down to the, the, the lake, they would have seen fields. They would have seen sowers. They would have walked on the path that, that we see in the parable. Uh, maybe even from the lake, they could look up and they could see that there was a farmer sowing his seed. And so he's taking these common, ordinary things and he's drawing deep, profound, and extraordinary meaning. And so this is an agrarian society, so they would have known a lot more about farming. They would have understood this parable much more than us uh, or you who live in North County, San Diego. But if you're like me who live in apartments um, and the only kind of farming that we know are the dead succulents or the fiddle leaves that just keep 
dropping leaves. I can't figure out how to keep it alive. Um, and so I have to buy a new one to replace it and then I kill it and I have to buy a new one to replace it. If you're like me in that area, um, we do get this very basic principle is that seed grows if it's in the right soil. Seed grows if it's in the right soil. So this parable, there's three main subjects, three characters, and that is the sower, the seed, and the soils. Now, a quick word on each. You have the sower, and, and in this metaphor, that's God. God is the one who is, is offering the seed. He, he is producing and giving out the kingdom of God. And, and it, we, the original audience, they would have seen this, and they would have actually been caught off guard because it's an agrarian society. So the farmer should have known what good soil was. If he's a farmer, he knows what plots of land he should be farming on, what has grown crop in the past. He, he wouldn't have just flippantly been tossing his seed around. And yet this sower, this farmer, in this metaphor, this is the king of the kingdom, seems to just be audaciously um, frivolous with, with, with his seed. He's just sharing it and, and sending it everywhere. And they would have been like, what are you, you're wasting it. Why would you do that? Why are you, you're, you're not smart. And they would have been caught off guard by this sower. And Jesus is actually making a point because if you want to know anything about the kingdom, you need to know the king. And what he's, what he's pointing at is that this king, this sower is non-discriminate. He's not looking at you and, and waiting for you to tidy up, right? He's not looking at you and saying, hmm, that soil is just a bit rocky. I'm going to wait until it softens up. No, he's, he's lavishing his love. He's lavishing his kingdom on all areas. This also talks about the pervasive nature of the kingdom. God isn't just going to settle for an aspect, a piece of our heart. He wants it all. And so he's going to continue to sow. Now, now notice this. He's lavish, but you look at the soil and there are soils that can't receive. And so this farmer, this sower, isn't holding back. He continues to love. He continues to be lavish with who he's loving and how he's loving. Um, if you notice the Jews, they, they would have thought the Gentiles were outside of God's kingdom. And yet here you see God's like, no, no, no. Everyone is a part of my kingdom. Everyone gets a chance. I'm sowing my seed to all. Do you have ears to hear? I love this about the king. And so next we have the seed. And the seed, um, uh, there's this very incredible, uh, he's a historian, but he's also a pastor. He passed away recently. Um, his name is Ian Pitt Watson. And, and he says, there really have only been two great revolutions, just two events in history that have changed the world forever. The first one was when somebody started to farm because up until that point, they were just a bunch of hunter-gatherers, right? Um, they were all kind of nomadic because that's just what they had to do until someone decided to bury a seed. What are you doing is what they would have all thought. You're wasting that. You could have eaten that. And that's what they would have all thought because at that point, the seed, what they just gathered was just for food. But somehow they noticed at this point that where he planted that seed, it began to grow a crop. Somehow someone wasted something useful and it produced a lot more by dying than it ever did by living. And culture, society, the idea of family has all now been built around this idea of a seed that was planted, died, but then produced more by its life. And then Ian Pitt Watson says the second great revolution is much like the first where Jesus let his own creation kill him. 
He was right on the brink of a revolution, right? I mean, he had crowds, he had teachings, he had miracles, he had authority. People were following him. He was on the brink of a revolution. And at that point, at the peak of his popularity, he let his own creation kill him. I mean, what could he have done with three more years? What could he have done? And yet he withheld his divine power and he laid down his life. And so the second revolution looked a lot like the first where something was wasted, life was wasted, and yet so much more life came from that life dying than it ever did by living. The kingdom of God was established around this seed. Jesus in the world has never been the same since. And so John 12, 24 says this, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies... It produces many seeds. And I love this in Romans 5, 6 through 8. It says, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, but for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners... While we were still rocky, while we were still not good soil, while we were still against God and we didn't believe in him, he died for us. So much more life was produced by our Savior who died than he did by living. Um, elsewhere in the book of John, it says that uh, Jesus is the, he is the shepherd and then he also is the lamb that was slain. And I love, it's good news that the shepherd is also the lamb that was slain. It's also good news that the sower of the seed is the seed that came and died. And this is the upside-down kingdom. This is the paradox of the kingdom that, that there's a whole lot more life that comes from giving rather than taking. Now, as much as the farmer and the seed are valuable to this parable and the kingdom paradigm, if you read this parable, the main subject actually isn't the, the sower. It's not actually the seed. Those are valuable, but, but the main subject is the soil. This parable is meant for us to measure up against, to, to realize here's my prejudice and my presupposition of who God is and do I have a receptivity to that God, that kingdom, this God who, who is lavish in his love, this God who's not holding back, this God who, who wants to continue to scatter a seed, this God who not only is scattering the seed but is the seed who came and died. Are we receptive to that? And, and I think the first thing that we need to understand in understanding this parable is where he says, do you have ears to hear? Now, this draws on this, um, on this Hebraic mindset where in the Old Testament, they had this prayer. They'd pray it two times a day, every time they'd go in and out of the house and, and multiple times in other places called the Shema. And it's, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so that first word here is the word Shema in Hebrew. But elsewhere in the Old Testament, that word Shema here is also translated as obey because in the Hebraic mindset, um, if you didn't actually do something, if your listening didn't move you to action, you didn't listen. It's the same way for you as parents when, when you're like, hey, did you hear me? What you're saying is, did you act upon what I said? And so for Jesus, when he's saying, do you have ears to hear? What he's saying is, is are you going to let the message of the kingdom actually take root? Tinker around inside of you, change something and move you to action. Are you going to put the kingdom into practice? And so that now takes us to the soils. And we have the path. 
Jesus actually gives us the explanation of these parables. He says this in 18 through 19. He says, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed that's sown along the path. So the first seed falls along the path. Now in ancient Palestine, it would have been common for them to have patches of farmland and in the middle was this common walking area and it would be walked on so much so that it would be like concrete. And so it obviously wasn't a good place to to toss your seed, but again, the sower that we have is God and he just lavishes his love. And so this would have um, drawn the imagination of, 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 okay, this is just really hard ground, but the key to the soil is they did not understand it. The word of the kingdom was sown into their hearts and never sunk in. It stayed on the surface and it just couldn't take root. I just want to say, maybe you're watching this and maybe, or maybe you're new to faith and and you kind of have this idea of like, I don't know if this is real or not. Maybe you have a friend who just dragged you to watch this or they're dragging you to church and like, I just don't believe this. Or you're on the edge of, do I even want to take that deep dive? And if that's you, just from this parable, I want to say, um, I would say keep wrestling. Keep yourself open. Continue to, to think and to ponder, to evaluate and reevaluate this kingdom, lest you be like a, a path where the seed actually just has no opportunity to take root. And I would encourage you to keep wrestling because what that does is it at least gives an opportunity for you to give a chance to this kingdom. And so if that's you, my encouragement to you would just be like, Just stick it out. Continue to wrestle with it. Continue to ask questions. Stay in community and maybe even try it on. If you have ears to hear, you don't just listen, but you practice it. And so maybe try it on and see if it's actually something for you. It would be my encouragement to you. But I think for most people watching this, um, my hunch is that you actually probably like learning. You probably like listening to podcasts or reading books. Maybe you even like reading books and podcasts on theology. And we have more access to teaching, we have more access to podcasts, audiobooks, ebooks, tweets, articles. I mean, we have so much information at our fingertips. And on one hand, it's a really good thing. Because at a swipe of my finger, I can actually find information that's helpful, but it can also be really dangerous. Because of this, and amusing ourselves to death, this uh, author, Neil Postman, he gives an example of news. Now in the past, all news was local news. So in Encinitas, it would be something like, hey, did you hear the taco stand is on fire? And if you're like me, I'd be like, I'd be down there <laughs> putting out the taco stand immediately because I love their California burritos. So all of it was actionable. All of it was relevant. When news happened, it moved you. You had to do something about it because it was local. You would want to help out your neighbor. You would want to save the California burritos, right? All news was actionable. It was urgent. But we've actually become so accustomed to hearing information that requires nothing of us. We don't have to do anything with it. We hear hundreds of stories and podcasts and news updates daily that we don't have to respond to. And if you're like me, I kind of pull out my phone and I'll I'll scroll through Instagram and I'll be like, oh, this is a bummer. Scroll, scroll, scroll. That's sad. Scroll, scroll, scroll. And, and I can easily stay up to date on what's happening in people's lives. I can, I can see what's happening in the world around me. And yet there's so much of it that I'm, I'm stunted or I'm lulled into a comatose where I don't feel like I need to do anything. And because of that, the information that we get never transforms into formation. 
And I think in this parable, what it's talking about is don't let the message of the kingdom, don't let the sower and his seed, don't let the truth of who God is and the good news that he loves you, he's died for you, he wants to give you life and life to the full. Don't let that just become information that just falls on this solid concrete soil, but let it sink in and form and shape and change you from the inside out. Let's let it be formative, not informative. Now we get to the rocky soil. And this is found in 20 and 21. It says, The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once and receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Now, this kind of ground in, it was familiar in ancient Palestine as well. Um, they had a thin layer of dirt, but underneath that would have been a limestone kind of rock. And, and so it would have looked good. And every night there would have been this kind of mist-like dew that would come and it would settle on the ground. It would make it moist and, and, and malleable. And that way, that way the seed could actually fall in and take root. But the key to understanding this is that the soil, the soil was shallow. It had no root. And this makes me think back to high school with these people who were just so excited. I mean, myself included, we received the message with joy. And maybe you find yourself there too. You're like, you're new to faith and you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this. I'm ecstatic. I'm, I'm receiving this with joy. And what this parable is showing us is that we can't actually compare and say that ecstatic reception is the same thing as rootedness. Ecstatic reception and joy isn't the same as rootedness. Now, he's not saying that joy and ecstatic reception is bad. In fact, joy is the fruit of the Spirit. It, it, it's what God does produce in us. And, and throughout your journey with Jesus, you'll have times of ecstasy, you'll have times of joy and times of excitement in worship and in reading the scriptures and in community, you'll have those things. But what, what this is just warning us against is not to, to presume that because there's joy, that that is the same thing as deep abiding roots. And so what this is calling us into is actually to, to not let it just simply be an emotion. Emotions are great. They're good. In fact, God wants them. But if it stays an emotion and it never actually builds those root systems through abiding, through practices, through um, Lectio Divinas, where you actually get to sit and soak in God's words and you let it form you, not just inform you, it begins to take root. When you look at Jesus' life and you see that he went away to solitary places and you begin to practice solitude and silence with God, these things begin to create a root system. And if you notice... When you have shallow roots, when the hot sun would come out, it would lick up all of the water from the, the, the shallow soil. And then the, the shallow roots had nothing to draw water from. This is presuming that there will be hot days. This is presuming that there will be days and long seasons where it's going to be difficult. If anything from this last year, we learned that we can't predict it. It's going to be chaotic. There will be difficulty. Seasons will extend. And so what this is saying is in those seasons, do you have deep abiding roots? Do you have practices in your life that will allow you to sink deep enough to pull from the well of water that, that's low and deep beneath the surface? Or are you just in this place of, of emotion and deep ecstasy that, 
or, or shallow ecstasy that will wither when the sun burns. We want to have a deep, abiding, rooted faith that can last those long days in the hot sun. Now we have the thorny soil. In verse 22, it says, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now what's interesting about this is that the seed doesn't necessarily die. If you notice in the path, the seed was clearly eaten up. If you notice in the rocky, the seed withered by the sun, but this seed, it just gets choked up. It can't produce more seeds or more fruit. Now my my family, I grew up in, in Escondido, and uh, my mom loves to have her orchard. Um, she's got all of these different trees and fruit trees, and, but she always has like these avocado trees, and, and they just never grow avocados. And I remember one day I was like, Mom, what is that? And she's like, it's an avocado tree. And I'm like, I think your avocado tree is broken. Like, it's not actually producing anything. It's not working. And at that point, it's like, why do you have it? I mean, it's just drain. It's taking water. It's not doing anything. It's not giving me avocados for my avocado toast or for my California burritos. It's not helpful. And I think that's a little bit more of what's going on here. You can actually have this, this almost a semblance of life. You, you can have uh, this soil that, you know, you can easily make soil look like it's not infested with weeds, but if the seeds of the weeds are still there, it's going to grow up with it. So you can have a neat and tidy life. You can actually have a life that looks like there's life, but the real question is, is there fruit? Is your life producing love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and self-control? Is it looking more like Jesus? And so what this is talking about is there's competing space in the soil. It's talking about how we can have a distracted attention. We can have a divided devotion where the gospel of the kingdom is calling us to, to pervade all areas of our life. Like I said, God wants all areas. Those areas in your life where you're like, oh God, I don't want you there. I, you don't want to see that. If only you knew. And God's like, no, I want that. But in our lives, what it says is the anxieties of this life or the worries of this life and money, the deceitfulness of money. And so what it's calling upon is, is everyday life, you know, and just subtle things, right? These aren't like these big grand sins. These are actually things that are everyday life. You've got to pay bills. You've got a career. You've got relationships. You have to get your oil changed. The kid had another blowout. You have to eat food, right? These normal everyday things. But, but what it's, it's actually calling on when it says the worries of everyday life is, is it's our, our faint attempts to control it. So if we're living our life just trying to control it, and that's where our attention is. We're, we're looking at the kingdom, but we're also looking at this thing that we're trying to control. And, and it adds in their money. That's just another one of those things. Because what it's calling on is, is are you just going to pursue these things that are offering this, this sense of security, this sense of, of health, this sense of wealth, this sense of this will finally make you whole and filled, but it actually doesn't follow through and never truly satisfies. And so what it's calling on is, is are you distracted in your devotion? Are you, are you going for those things as if they're going to satisfy? Those things aren't necessarily bad, but if you're going for them with a devotion as if they'll satisfy, they are like weeds that will choke you out. And my encouragement to you would just be if, if you find yourself right there right now and you, you ask your, your, yourself, what am I thinking about all the time? What's occupying my, my mental space? 
What's, what's tugging on my heart? What's the inner critic always calling me to? And if it's, if it's not the kingdom of, of God, there's, there's no shame there. But what this is calling us is to measure ourselves against it and then begin to take moves in that direction. And so there might be some things, some thorns in your life that you have to cut. And now we find ourselves at the good soil. The good soil says this, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. The good soil. Now, I think in contrast to the bad soil, you can kind of understand what the good soil is. It's he who has ears to hear, let them hear. It's someone who, who takes the message of the kingdom and puts it into practice, someone who can build those deep roots. And so I want to just summarize, based off of those previous soils, this is what the good soil is. It's a heart that's formed, not simply informed. It's a heart that's rooted and abiding and not shallow. And it is a heart that is devoted and not distracted. These are people who have ears to hear. Now, if you are tracking, um, you might have just kind of been with the disciples and you're like, why are you teaching in parables? You know, why are you making the kingdom so hard, right? He's pretty much just saying, Jesus, why don't you just come out and do amazing miracles? Everyone would believe in you. Jesus, I promise this would be a sweet PR move if you were just clearer, right? If you just showed up, you came here, you just like came out of the sky and made a clear move, we would all start to follow you. And I actually feel like, well, this is what the disciples were asking in verse 10. The disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to people in parables? They're asking the same question. But I want to land with this because I think Jesus is kindly responding to us that his kingdom is invitational. It's patient and it's non-forceful, and it's calling us to respond. God wants to draw us out of the crowd and into discipleship. He wants to reveal the kingdom slowly. He wants to invite us into that journey. And he wants to distinguish between those who want the kingdom without the king and those who are calloused. So the final thing I just want to highlight, um, because... I've fallen into this where I'm like, I, I actually really feel like I'm thorny or I really feel like I'm shallow, rocky soil. And I was talking to my mentor and he, he kind of blew my mind with this, but he said, we're all soils at all times. And so I don't know how you've been hearing all these soils. Some of it probably resonated with you and, and that's good. You should lean into that. But I actually feel like this parable is for all of us, for myself included, that there are parts of us. We're, we're, we're way too complex as human beings just to be one kind of soil and so what we end up doing is we have areas of our lives that are pathy and we have areas that are rocky and areas that are thorny and we have areas where the fruit of Christ likeness is coming out. And, and so the question is not whether or not you are one or the other. You are all of them. And it's just to identify what areas of your life is the gospel of the kingdom not pervading and invading and changing and transforming. Where do you not have ears to hear in your life? And so for you, my challenge would just to be to go back over this, just read and reread, to evaluate and reevaluate your life from the ground up. And where in your life are you seeing fruit to celebrate? Where in your life are there, are there places that are just choking you out because you have a distracted, divided devotion? Where in your life are, are you shallow and maybe just ecstatic, and, but there's really no depth there and you need to implement practices and ways to, to be able to withstand the, the scorching sun? And where in your life are you just going for information rather than formation, that you need to sit and let God's kingdom plant and till the soil of your heart. Would you guys pray with me? 
God, I, I pray that we would have ears to hear. I pray that even right now, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to whoever's listening and, and watching this, as well as myself, that you would reveal to us the areas of our lives that need uh, recognition. They need to be tilled. They are pathy. The areas of our lives where um, we just kind of brush you aside. The areas of our lives where we're just running off emotion, but not on depth of rootedness and abiding. Would you help us to abide? Or would you show us the areas of our lives where we are honestly looking for something else, for our joy and satisfaction, for our peace, for a Savior that honestly isn't you? And would you just take that out, God? And God, I pray that you just continue to make us into good soil. Would our lives, would Light Church be a church that is good soil, continue to be a church that's good soil so that the kingdom of God would continue to be revealed in them and in North County, San Diego, as it is in heaven. So God, we pray this in your name. Amen. Grace and peace, guys. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.